Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Chelsea, keeping you up to date on the latest news from Stamford Bridge. Match recaps, previews, presented by WorldSoccerShop.com. It's the London is Blue podcast. Here's your hosts, Brandon, Dan, and Nick. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to a, well, a special summer episode from us, your friends at the London is Blue podcast, but I do want to actually, before you get into this episode, let you know that, no, we didn't record this last night, we actually recorded this on May 29th with Alex, uh, all the signs after the FA Cup were pointing that this deal was going to get done right away, so we're like, hey, let's record this now, well, we are just now, almost a month and a half later, releasing it. So I just want to let you know there are some things that are maybe a little bit out of date, but about 90% of the content is still relevant. Uh, Alex is literally a sorry expert, was a fantastic guest. This is his first time even being on a podcast. So please go show him some love for uh, him being on the podcast. So like I said, there is some things that are outdated. Please just know we understand that, but this is still a great episode, so we hope you enjoy. Here we go. 
Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another summer pod from the London is Blue podcast. You're, you're probably wondering, why are you guys working harder now than you did in the season? And Dan, I, I asked myself the same question. The matches are over, yet here we are, week after week, day after day, pumping out the content. Yeah, well, Nick and uh, I think he stole all of our floaties. So uh, that kind of left us ill-equipped to go down to the pond and uh, potentially hang out around the watering hole. So I uh, figured might as well record a podcast instead. Yeah, yeah, no fun here. Uh, I don't want anyone doing aquatic activities. I think that's just completely uh, inappropriate for this time of year. Well, here we are then, back on the podcast grind. It's uh, obviously, you know, look, it, there's a lot going on right now with the club, especially with the, the World Cup coming up. The transfer window is already open. There's a lot that is kind of happening and relevant. So we don't want to miss anything. And so, with that being said, we are super excited to have Alex McGovern from Bleacher Report and lifelong Chelsea fan joining us on the podcast, making his podcast debut. Uh, welcome, Alex. We're glad to have you. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. And, obvi- and obviously, after your article, which we'll get into, the now you know uh, community acclaimed sorry uh, expert. So that's also great. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great, uh, great topic to be known for. Exactly. Uh, so Dan, I'm actually going to let you do a little bit of intro into Alex and his article uh, about Maurizio Sarri and and why this is maybe relevant to Chelsea in case people somehow don't know. Yes, if you've been uh, hiding under a rock or potentially have blasted out on a uh, eight-year expedition to Mars and are uh, very far away from satellite reception, uh, you might not know that Chelsea are potentially on the verge of appointing a new manager, uh, which would be Maurizio Sarri, and uh, saying goodbye to Antonio Conte. Uh, Alex put together a really, really nice article on uh, these football times, Shay, great, great website, excellent content. Uh, you need to check it out. I think we've retweeted the article a couple of times now, but the case was made by Alex as to why Marcio uh, Sari represents Chelsea's best option in replacing Antonio Conte. And uh, yeah, a big statement to make leading off the article uh, there, Alex. But uh, what, what's your elevator pitch for Sari? And then we'll kind of get into a little who he is, talk about his tactics, and then maybe talk about the players that are going to succeed under him and the players who are going to really struggle. Yeah, of course. I think the... Um the key key points regarding Sarri and why he's a, a good fit for Chelsea are firstly that he's a he's an out and out coach and he's a coach who's gonna gonna lift the players, lift their confidence and, and lift their abilities. After a few years of uh, Mourinho and Conte, uh, and you know we've been hearing all year about about suffering and uh, kind of playing this extremely defensive football for quite a while now. Uh, I think the fans and the players could really do with uh, a coach who's going to come in and bring some attacking impetus, uh, an, inter- an entertaining style of play. Um, and, and I, you know, I think it would give everyone a bit of a lift, fans and fans and players alike. So there's a lot of points around uh, around youth, about his, his history, what he won or what he hasn't won, um, and all the other bits around it. And I do think the, the issues at Chelsea are bigger than than who the coach is. You know, we need to appoint a, uh, a director of football and kind of have a top-down strategy. I don't expect, you know, whoever was hired to kind of solve the issues at Chelsea. Um, but yeah, for, for, for what the position is and for the options that are out there, 
Uh, I, I personally think Zoe's the best fit from the, from the research and the, and the watching that I've done. All right. Well, let's go ahead and just kind of kick it off. I think, Alex, with the, the very basic question is, who is Maurizio Sarri? Obviously, grew up, born, and played in Italy. But, I mean, a quick overview a little bit of, of his more recent time at, at Napoli and why he's even being considered for Chelsea. Okay. So, I mean, he's definitely got a very interesting background compared to uh, most other coaches out there. I mean, the other guys looked at like uh, Luis Enrique um, has, you know, kind of worked with big clubs in in three different countries. Um Whereas Sarri is very, very different. So he, I mean, he started in the early 90s. Uh, he was a banker at the, the oldest bank in the world, or claimed to the, the oldest bank in the world. Um, and he was, he was doing that and coaching. And he's, he spent, well, from the early 90s up until uh, about five, six years ago, uh, coaching amateur teams, regional level teams, uh, building up. Uh, until he eventually got to, to Serie B, the second division in Italy. So he spent, he spent a long time, you know, very much out of the limelight, learning his trade, uh, not doing the, the kind of glamorous stuff at all. Um, so that's why, you know, despite being uh, in his late 50s now, you probably, you know, a lot of people wouldn't have heard of him until the last few years. Uh, so he was at Empoli, which was really his big break in Serie B, got them promoted to Serie A. Uh, and then he spent the last three years uh, at Napoli. Um, and even, even that was a, a very controversial appointment. Um, you know, the president De Laurentiis was saying not that long ago when he when he hired Sarri, people were putting up posters around the city of Naples saying that he was an idiot. Uh, it was a highly protested decision. Uh, people like Maradona, um, who is obviously holding the highest regard in Naples, was complaining about it as well. So it's um, you know even getting to that this last job has been huge huge steps from from where it was before. Um, this is being in Napoli. He's taken them from, you know, kind of also runs under Rafa Benitez uh, to almost the best team in Italy. And he didn't quite get there this year. He fell, fell a couple of points behind Juventus. Um, but he's done an incredible job. He's he's broken Napoli's points record, uh, all-time points record, uh, at least two times. Maybe it's three, but it's at least two times. Uh, broken their records for most consecutive wins and, and their unbeaten streak. Um, and all round done a, done a pretty brilliant job. Played some, some very insane football. Uh, huge success on the pitch, just without kind of getting that, that trophy that, that they wanted. So that's a mark against him. Uh, that's the argument used against him that he's not got a trophy. Um, but the kind of numbers and the points tally he's put up this season is of the first team ever in Italy to get over 90 points and, and not actually win a title. Uh, so he's put up some, some incredible numbers without quite getting that trophy. I think one thing that, uh, you know, kind of talking about uh, Empoli is, you know, I, I believe it might have been your article or talking uh, kind of the research of Sari is that the actually maybe even the more impressive thing was he was able to keep them up after promotion to Syria. And that was seen as a pretty impressive period of time for him as well. That kind of helped seal the deal for his Napoli, uh, you know, recruitment. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, just to say so the first year that he took over the season before that, they were in the relegation playoffs of Serie B. So they were almost going down to the third division. Uh, then, so in his first season, he took them into the promotion playoffs. So completely up the other end. Uh, they didn't quite get through the playoffs, but the season after they got promoted. Um, and it was very much when they, when they got into Serie A, they were 
regarded as as probably the smallest team in terms of budget uh, and even in height in stature they, they're a very small team uh, expected to go back down and he took them to 15th uh, which was seen as a, as a very very impressive performance uh, they had the second least goals conceded in the bottom half of, of Serie A that season um, so really got them to, to shut up shop with uh, you know a number of young players in the back line as well uh, and, and achieved a lot more than, than people thought they would. I mean, 15th doesn't sound amazing, but when you're coming from just a couple of seasons removed from almost being in a third division, uh, yeah, that, that was seen as quite an impressive achievement. All right. Um, obviously, you kind of talked about the fact that Maradona at first was very unimpressed with what uh, Sari was doing, even maybe made a bold statement out in the public and then even circled back. So like you said, I mean, it just sounds like he is uh, overlooked at the beginning, but when given time, he's been able to to do some really, really fantastic things. Like you said, just the fact that Diego Maradona, uh, you know, kind of came about and did a U-turn and in, in, in sang his praises, I think, to, you know, as outsiders not knowing a lot, uh, you can kind of take that at face value and, and be impressed in that. So, um like I said, rising up the ranks in Serie A. But Nick, I, I think now we can actually dig a lot more into the exciting stuff, which sorry ball or whatever you want to call the, the style of play that, sorry we've ball. Ne- that we've now dubbed it. That's right, Alex. So I'm just going to read uh, Pep Guardiola's quote because I do think that it, it makes sense and it's been doing the rounds. Um, so in praise of sorry style from Pep, Sarri is famous for a dynamic, thrilling play focused on high pressure, quick passing, and ball retention. Um, so Pep Guardiola said that it's the most beautiful football in Europe, going so far as to say they probably were the best side I've ever faced. That is, uh, that's high praise from a guy who just ran, uh, ran the league with 100 points and, uh, and took things over this year. What are your thoughts on, on obviously, the, the praise being heaped on him from from managers who who know their onions and also kind of what you know how you might surmise or summarize his uh, style of play yeah yeah the quotes from pep were um were i think a real vindication um especially Napoli had kind of a reputation last year of, of probably playing the most exciting football in Europe um, yeah maybe a science from Man City uh, that was a claim and it's kind of you know I, I guess like a, a hipsters and internet opinion uh, but then for someone like for Pep Guardiola to make those comments and say they're the best team he's ever faced was uh, yeah it's, it's quite an amazing statement I think there's definitely some romanticism to it I don't think Pep actually thinks they're you know the most effective side he's ever faced I, I can't imagine that's true um, but you know we all know where, where Pep come from, comes from and the kind of style he admires and what, what he looks for in football so you know for someone of his stature to, to make those claims is is quite impressive um, as of you know a few other a few other coaches like uh, Arrigo Sacchi the legendary Italian manager who's called uh, Sarri a genius and, uh, and praised his style in that sense um, but in terms of what style is it's, it's very much a uh, fluid attacking movement. Um, a lot of their play is is definitely down the left side, uh, where they're focused on using Insigne, uh, Marek Hamšík, uh, Fauzi Gulam at left back, and kind of combining with three those three to get forward. But yeah, as I say, it's it, it's it's quite similar to, to Pep Guardiola's style in a sense. It's about uh, short, fast passing, dynamic play. Uh, but they're also 
is very very focused on on staying rigid at the back they've always uh, his teams firstly the the Empley team but also this Napoli team uh, have always had very solid defensive and good defensive records as well so it's not the kind of uh, you know the attacking style of we're going to score four but we're you know we could concede three four five uh, there's kind of a balance there while being very entertaining is there anyone Alex who you think he takes inspiration from from a managerial standpoint or from uh, from a playing standpoint uh, I, in the sense of my I would guess Guardiola would seem a really logical inspiration to him um, that's not something I've heard Sari say um, but that that would be my guess I, I would say they're they're the closest in in style and you know through the kind of 2000s Pep made what he did incredibly popular and what everyone wanted to to replicate replicate I would imagine that's something Sari's seen so then now maybe is a good time to kind of talk about like the formation and the way that uh, you know, sorry, plays because uh, I think everybody gets excited about uh, what it is, and uh, knowing that it's not uh, five at the back all time is going to have some people at Sanford Bridge and uh, probably one um, eccentric uh, Russian owner very, very happy that uh, we won't play that way. So maybe we will. So. I kind of have an understanding that he likes to play more in a four four three three to start off with, but maybe you can kind of go into some specifics about what that actually looks like from an execution standpoint when it uh, actually kind of starts to take shape and head onto the field. Yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of uh, excellent tactics blogs out there, and I'm, I'm not going to pretend to be uh, you know a tactical genius, but the, the observations from from watching them. Is that he's he's mostly used or almost entirely used a, a four three three at Napoli. He has used uh, kind of a four three one two in the past, so two strikers and and one attacking midfielder in behind. So there has been uh, so he's not exclusively used his formation, but it's certainly been the majority of what he've done. Um, and yeah, so so to to give you a, a rough run through uh, is very much the, the wingers stay wide uh, Insigne on the left and Callahan on the right uh, then in midfield he's got Jorginho who is uh, kind of like the Xavi to Pep uh, he's very much a controller uh, of the team uh, so he he's he's the guy that's really dictating the play uh, then in that midfield as well you've got Hamshik uh, who's more of an attacking influence and Alan Brazilian kind of box-to-box midfielder who's a very dynamic player uh, and then left back you've got Fauzi Goulam and like I say a lot of that play um, the, the really intricate the really interesting play is down that left-hand side between Goulam, Hamchik um, and Insigne uh, so that, that's roughly how the formation works I've, I've never seen Sarah use anything um, or at least I've never seen him start a game with anything that's not a four-man defence. Uh, so I, th- I assume uh, that's what you would expect to Chelsea, uh, an end to the, the three or five at the back, um, which, you know, has had great results for us. Uh, it's also struggled a bit at times this season. Uh, but I, I would imagine that uh, if Sarri joins, that would be the end of the, the three or five at the back. 
Yeah, I, we've talked about, um, you know, when we had Joe on and discussed, you know, the, the change information and talked about potentially going for the back. And I think what we've seen at Napoli under Sari is that really it becomes important for uh, the keeper, the two center backs and that one uh, deep lying uh, midfield playmaker uh, to kind of recycle the ball a lot, which is going to be a little different than what we've seen this season in the Courtois kicks out to either the left or right center back back and uh, we hope it goes down the flanks appropriately there'll actually be some changes uh, what it looks like to, to ball distribution as well yeah and I think um, the players that are, are going to benefit in signings that might need to be made in something we'll touch on later but that that position the guy who's going to be the, be at the base in midfield uh, and dictate a lot of that play is, is probably something that Chelsea are going to have to have a look at yeah I, I definitely think so and you know I'm trying to also translate what he's doing in Serie A and, and see how compatible it is with Chelsea. So my understanding from, you know, all these highlight and, you know, play style videos are coming out. These guys press all game. They play a high back line and then they try to make the other team make a mistake in their defensive third, which again is very similar to Man City. They don't want you to have time to, to pick your head up and, and distribute. So, uh, with I guess with that being said, do you think that the high line and the pressing, is that just kind of like standard sorry, or is he a little bit more flexible in general with his tactics and maybe play style? It's certainly been standard sorry at Napoli. Um, it, that's the kind of difficult thing with, with looking at Sarri and looking at, uh, you know, if the things that he does are in isolation at Napoli or if they're indicative of his entire career, because it's really hard to research the kind of stuff that he was doing um, in the lower divisions. I mean, there's not a lot of coverage for some of the teams that he's worked at in Italian, uh, let alone English. <laughs> so yeah, on the evidence that you can look at, uh, of his top level football career with Napoli uh, yeah that the, the high pressing I don't know about the high line in terms of the, the defence but the high line in terms of the midfield pressing up the wingers pressing up the striker chasing down the opposition defenders um, yeah I, th I think that's something you would expect to see Hmm. All right. Well, yeah, it's it's definitely <laughs> it could be kind of funny, right? Antonio Conte, Nick came in a couple years ago, started with the 4231 says, "All right, guys, we'll try it your way." Did not go well. Switches to the three back <laughs> set. All of a sudden, rattles off, you know, what, 10, 12, 13 wins in a row and and dances to the league. A uh, little bit more issues this season, but we could potentially, it sounds like having a new manager bring another new style and, and formation to the league and potentially restructure how everyone else plays again. <laughs> it, it is intriguing, uh, Alex. I, I think as, I'm, as I've looked at the, the tactics maps and how the team kind of shifts it, it, the shape overall during a match, um, one of the maps I've seen drops Jorginho back um, into kind of a back three because the wingers are so high up and essentially looks like it, what we've seen all year, which would be a, a three, four, three, um, because the wingers are so active, uh, up and down the flanks. And I, I don't know, you know, if, if it's going to look like that, I mean, that's something that I think our current crop of players could eventually get used to, but it will take a lot of, of drilling for the different shifts and shapes to, to take, place in this team that's been so drilled 
on the on the Conte formation and, and whipping the ball around the outside and looking for runners, you know, to occasionally pass the ball inside to. It's going to be a bit of a challenge, right? Yeah, I th- yeah. I think any any switch in in playstyle is always going to be a challenge, and there will be some players that, that step up to that and adapt quickly, uh, and there's some that that won't and probably won't stay in the first team for very long. Um, in terms of that shape, I think when we talk about formations a three four three or four three three, whatever it might be, the way they actually you know if you look at the average positions of players on a pitch, um, it, it's always going to end up looking pretty different to. Uh, how it how it looks on the team sheet and and how it's laid out. You know the the winger might actually end up spending half the game right in the middle, and he might be further ahead than the striker for a large part because maybe the striker has more um, more responsibility to to track back. Uh, you know, we would look at Liverpool's formation as a four-three-three. I, I suspect you'd probably see Salah. Uh, his average position is probably higher up the pitch and very inside. And Firmino's is is probably you know deeper than Salah, despite being the striker. So, yeah, I, I think when, when you when you look at it down on a map like that, Jorginho is definitely going to be coming back and and, and picking up the ball and, and redistributing the play. Um, but that wouldn't be kind of putting him in the territory of being a, a third centre back. Um, but yeah, there's yeah. Sorry to, to to switch the style to to what from Conte to to Sarri uh, is is going to be a hard drill. And I think it's almost a shame actually that we've got the uh, it sounds bad to say, but that we're playing in the Europa League this season. Conte had uh, an entire year of playing one game a week, and he gets to spend. Um, you know, five six days on the training pitch, drilling the players to be uh, to to fit his formation, to fit his style, and drill them into doing exactly what he wants. Uh, and it's almost a shame that Sarri doesn't have the the opportunity to do that. You know, he's going to be playing midweek Europa League, uh, plus the cups, plus the Premier League, uh, and actually to to maybe even have that season of not having any European competition would be a real benefit here. Obviously, not something he does have, uh, but yeah, the transition will be will be probably quite difficult for some of the players. And I know one other thing I observed in kind of researching, you know, how Sorry Ball TM uh, actually takes presence on the pitch is one thing that we have seen this season is when we play two up top. So when they kind of go into transition, sometimes they do play uh, with like a Insigne kind of comes up with Mertens to be like the second uh, striker, which is what we've seen with like Giroud and Hazard. So, I mean, it does seem like there are some things that at least we've started to do that, you know, would kind of be tailor-made uh, for, you know, sorry to kind of pop in and take advantage of that type of situation too, Alex. Yeah, Insigne is a, a really interesting player who's uh, done extremely, extremely well under Sarri. I mean, the, the years before uh, under Benitez and different managers, he'd scored uh, in his first season, he scored no goals and he scored five, three, then two. So he's uh, what, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten goals in his in his career up to that point, all playing, you know, a large amount of games. And then when Sarri joined in the next two seasons, um, he scored 40 goals. So he's quite a similar, I mean, he's not as good, but he's a, he's a similar style um, to Eden Hazard in a, a left winger who wants to, to maybe start wide cut inside. Very tricky, looking to get into dangerous positions. So I, I think Hazard's a player who could really flourish under Seri. Um There was a report the other day that 
the said Hazard was. I, I, I have no idea how true this is, and I can't remember where it was coming from, but saying that Hazard was uh, pushing the board to, to go with Sarri, or, you know, he was very excited about Sarri coming in. And he's probably seen how well uh, attacking players like Insigne and Mertens have, have done under Sarri. So I, I imagine that would be a good fit for Hazard as well. And, uh, you know, to get the best out of our best player uh, is certainly a good thing. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, <laughs> I think that's a huge question, especially after Eden Hazard's comments after the FA Cup. You know, him and Rudiger standing in front of the camera saying, yeah, you know, it depends on what kind of players Chelsea sign. And Rudiger literally begging him to stay on camera. Uh, I think that that's going to be very important to all of us as fans. But let's gonna go dig into that a little bit. So, you know, the, who are the Chelsea players do you, that you think, right? We're not going to make you solve any answers right now. Don't worry, Alex. But uh, who do you think the Chelsea players that are going to benefit from Sarri's appointment based on what you've seen from a play style, based on what you know he does from a transfer dealings? Um, and, and, and I guess we're probably going to assume he's going to play a 4-3-3. So I think that shuffles up a lot of our back line as, as well. So uh, any anyone specifically you think that will flourish besides Eden Hazard under Sarri? I can only imagine the, the defenders will get better. Um, Koulibaly, who Chelsea have been linked to signing for uh, something like 120 million uh, over the last few weeks, and in the last few windows at like 60 million, so his price has, has already doubled, um, has been a, a, an unbelievable success story under Sarri. Uh, he went from someone linked to Norwich a few years ago, uh, who was considered not good enough for, for Napoli, um, to you know now what he potentially the most expensive defender in the world if, if someone was to buy him at the at the value that they're demanding. Um, so I, I would assume that some of those defenders, whether it's Christensen, whether it's Rudiger, whether it's uh, you know maybe Zuma coming back, um, maybe even Gary Cahill, who knows. Um, those players should should get a, a brilliant drilling, a brilliant coaching from Sarri. He's extremely meticulous uh, the way he drills his defences. Um, he's known as this this innovator who was uh, the first coach to use drones, where he would uh, kind of fly a drone over the training session and run these drills Jeez. where the back line, <laughs> uh, where, the, where the back line would have to move in tandem as a ball is you know thrown over the top or thrown in short, and the and the back line has to uh, you know move. In, in perfect harmony to come to the ball or drop or you know whatever they need to be doing uh, and he's using these drones to kind of study the movements um, so that, that, that's one of his kind of you know innovations that he's known for was, was supposedly the first coach to, to be doing that and it's apparently now quite, quite widely used um, so on the basis of looking at how well some of the defenders I mean Fauzi Gulam um, the right back uh, Albanian chap whose name I'm almost certainly going to butcher uh, Hisai I've, I've been told it's pronounced but I can't I can't really commit to that um, you know they, they, they've all improved massively and you know there's always links to the kind of Manchester clubs um, and Chelsea etc so there's a lot of there's a lot of players in that back line who have improved a whole lot so not just going forward uh, I think some of those defenders uh, who it might be to step up yeah I don't know but I can imagine a lot of the defenders in the squad would benefit from Sarah's coaching. If, if you're considering going from a, a 3-4-3 or 3-5-2 to more of a traditional 4-3-3, uh, Alex, I mean, would a guy like Christensen or would a guy like uh, David Luiz or Rudiger or any of these types be able to, um, do you think, transition nicely or will it be 
something that will will take a little bit of time considering the the system that they just played I would imagine that all of those players have played in uh, two-man defences uh, or four-man defences previously. Um, I know Christensen spent a bit of time in a three-man defence at Gladbach. Uh, I'm not sure how much of a four-man they played there, but I know it's, it's three-man defence for a lot. So it's probably been a, a while for him since he's played on four-man defence. Um, but, you know, I remember going to watch the, uh, uh, the Chelsea youth games and watching him uh, in a four-man defence as... Uh, maybe the best player I've ever seen at, at that level so obviously you know that's quite a few years ago now um, but he's certainly excelled in that role in the past Rudiger played mostly in a four-man defence at Roma um, for pretty much his entire time there uh, David Luiz I mean he's played in a four-man defence for, for almost the entirety of his career um, I would suggest David Luiz has, has not got it in him to play as in a, in a four-man defence. Uh, I, I would say the three-man defence gave him licence to to go rogue and make his errors and <laughs> just be covered by everyone else. Like, I honestly don't think he would be uh, he would do well to fall at the back. But that's you know that's an opinion I've had for a few years. Um, so, so so maybe not Luiz in my view, but I'm sure other people would disagree with that. Um, but yeah, I. I, th- I think all of those players, as Pilaquetta would seem the obvious one, um, that loses his position. He's obviously been a been a good right back, um, done okay at left back, uh, but he's you know been brilliant in this three at the back. Uh, could he be a centre back in, in a four man defence? Maybe I'm not I'm not sure. Um, my guess is that he would go back to right back, um, and and then you'd have two of the others in centre-back um, you know we, obviously that's Azpilicueta's original position so so fine but he's he's kind of losing uh, the best position he's he's had in his career I would say anyway so yeah I I, I would call David Luiz and Azpilicueta the couple that lose out there even if Azpilicueta stays in the team um, and all of the others have played in four-man defences for a large part of their career so you know, I, I would have thought they would be okay do do you really quickly do you think that Dave uh, has the ability to play right back in this kind of high intensity what? You know, bombing up and down the wing kind of style? Did or David is, Louise or, is a right back? <laughs> no, I said Dave. Dan. Oh, I thought you said David. Oh man, that that would be a sight to see. <laughs> I don't see that. I think that'd be fun. As for the question, yeah, I mean the, the way that Napoli play at the moment is is quite um, Hisai, which I've probably butchered again. Um, not go, you know, he he will go forward, he will cross the ball, but he's um, the the more stable of the wing backs on the right hand side, and Fazio Gulam on the left is is the really kind of marauding and attacking involved player. So I don't I don't think there's necessarily a, a requirement for for both of them to be extremely high up the pitch, and actually to have one who is very high up um, and on the same side as Hazard, that's a benefit, and the other guy to offer a bit more stability. Um, I yeah, I think. I think that that kind of works at the moment. Yeah, I really like the idea of uh, a Rudiger Christensen pairing, where you know they both have that ability to distribute the ball pretty, you know, from a tactical you know presence in that uh, that center defense, and, and that would work really well as we kind of look at like the the midfield 
And, you know, that midfield three has kind of seemed to need a, a you know, a deep lying playmaker, someone who's a little bit more attack oriented and then like a, you know, a box to box beast. And I guess I'm looking at it and thinking, okay, we got a Golo Conte who gives you that, that pace and presence and can run for, you know, 200 minutes a game and, you know, does it all as he multiplies himself in the, you know, multiple individuals on the pitch. Um, you potentially look at bringing in Ruben Loftus-Cheek back into the equation. Um, but I look at Sarri's football. I look at the way Seth Fabregas has played this season. And while his passing and technical ability would be amazing, I just don't think he has the pace to kind of notch into the system from a midfield. And I feel like that part, Alex, is probably where um, we're going to need to do some reworking to really figure out how that can work with the way Sarri wants to play. Yeah, I think so as well. Uh, I mean, Jorginho is a, a brilliant dictator of play, uh, but he can also cover the ground and and do some mopping up. You know, not not to the degree of a canter or anyone like that by any means, but he has some defensive qualities, and I'm not sure Fabregas has got many uh, many left. Um, <laughs> we, we we had this you know this issue last year when. Uh, uh, when Conte was coming in saying that uh, you know is Fabregas going to play this Perlo role um, and that you know there was huge, huge hopes around that um, and, and that never happened Conte never really trusted him there um, I don't know I mean he, he, he's a, an excellent passer of the ball I, I personally would have thought it's, it's time to to find the next one for Chelsea uh, I mean that, that position is, is so crucial for Sarri um, I was looking up the passing stats in, in Serie A a few days ago and Jorginho has the uh, well actually the top five most passes in Serie A all of them played for Napoli in the season just gone uh, number one was Jorginho and he'd only played something like 70% of total minutes but he still had made the most passes in the league um, wow yeah, he's he's got some amazing stats. He's I think he's got he holds nine of the top ten um, single game passing records in in Serie A. Uh, you know he he's an absolute machine at what he does. Um, so he, he's a very very crucial role in the system. Um, maybe Fabregas will be up to there. I, I'm not sure. I you know I don't see him on the training ground every day. Uh, if I was to be playing football manager I'd, I'd be buying you know a new person for that, a new player for that position personally you're not yeah we, we've actually been talking about this and I think that there is a lot of discussion uh, on Fabregas's future I think it also tells a lot that he's been out in the media a lot lately saying he'd love to stay at Chelsea for that extra year uh, I think he knows kind of the situation as well obviously he's not gonna get paid where he's at if he were to leave so We'll have to see. To me, I think that the fact that Jorginho goes so far deep to get it and still has some defensive responsibilities is what kind of makes me a little concerned of of Sess kind of being that last midfielder back. So I, I definitely agree with you on there. What what about kind of our attackers? So obviously, I'm really interested in, in hearing about William and Morata from an attacker standpoint because there's been conversations of William potentially going to United with Martial and Cash, uh, Morata potentially going to Italy for you know there's been all these crazy claims uh, about Icardi and Iguain, which I don't think either of them will happen. But 
What about those two or any of the other kind of attackers in the team, a la Pedro or, I don't know, whoever you think, or even like a Giroud? How do you think these guys would line up? Would it would it be a good kind of match with Sari, or you think some of these guys are kind of going to be out on the chopping block? Uh, William's a really interesting one, and I know every well, it feels like fifty percent of the Chelsea fan base love him, and the other, uh, you know, can't stand him. Uh, I, I I've been really frustrated with him for about I don't know um, a year and a bit. I think he's been, you know, he was totally ineffective for a long time and I'd have been very happy for him to, you know, to move to Man United if we get a good return on him or, you know, bring a Martial in or something like that. Um, but then he had this this incredible spurt of the, you know, the second half of the season. Um, and you think actually if he can replicate that for a longer period of time, then, you know, you've got an amazing player in your hands. Um, it's a difficult one. I mean, you, you know, you even look at someone like Callahan, who is Napoli's starting right winger, and there's probably not been a point in his career where he's been uh, better than a Pedro or better than a William. He's always kind of being a, you know, a kind of okay winger, but he's turned out to be highly effective for, for Sarri's system. So it's kind of difficult to, to say. I mean, you never know. He comes, Sarri would arrive and move Pedro into that kind of uh, effective right winger role. Um, it, it, it's kind of. I think it's kind of hard to speculate on some of the wingers. Um, Giroud, Giroud again is an interesting one. I mean, he's had a really, really great role for us uh, this season. Um, as a, I mean, it's not even a second option of you know his of going kind of high longer balls or anything like that and winning headers. But he's always been the. The main pl- the main striker for a large part of it. Um, Milik seems the the obvious comparison at Napoli. Um, so they bought him for for thirty odd uh, million last season, uh, and he's had uh, he, I, th- I think he had back to back knee cartilage injuries. So he he had one was out for ages, uh, came back for a game or two, and then had a, a, immediately again had had the same problem. So he was out for a long time, uh, and he came back towards the end of the season and started coming on for. Mertens. Uh, so Mertens is about five foot five. Um, <laughs> on used a, to be on a, a good day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I may, I may have overrated him there. <laughs> overrated his height. Um, but yeah, so he, he was very much a, a winger, uh, converted into a striker. Um, and that's the majority of what, you know, Sarri Ball has been, has been playing with this almost false nine small striker. Um, but Milik actually provided a very useful addition towards the back end of the season when he was fit again. Um, They're playing a few more balls in the air um, and he turned up um, in a few games as, as quite important. Uh, so, so, so yeah, again, you know, Giroud's size and the fact he's a big player doesn't necessarily mean he'd be rendered redundant under Sarri at Chelsea. Um, he could still have a have a very important role to play. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I think it's hard to guess on, on some of the wingers. Um, you know, they've all got the attributes to flourish. Uh, but maybe he looks to, maybe he looks to sign someone. Um, Marassa, I mean personally, I'm I'm not remotely convinced. Um, I wasn't entirely convinced when we signed him uh, as something like the 19th most expensive player of all time, um, which is crazy when you think about it. Um, 
you know, maybe give him another year and, and he'll do well. I'm, I'm not sure. Personally, I'd, I'd be looking to sign someone. But again, that, that's kind of defensive football. And to Chelsea have that money, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. So a, a really quick follow-up would be that uh, understood that uh, he has like a smaller kind of shiftier attacking force at, at Napoli or had, I, I should say. Do you think that that can, you know, I know that Man City's attacking line isn't huge, but do you think that that can translate into the Premier League where players are just bigger and stronger and uh, a little bit more uh, physical, uh, grabby, <laughs> things, things like that, where like Giroud really benefited us this year because he was able to occupy, you know, one or two guys with his height and his ability to hold up the ball? Yeah, I, I think it can translate. I mean, you know, Pep Guardiola had all these these questions when he joined the Premier League that you know you can't replicate that that Barcelona style um, in the Premier League for for those exact reasons, and he proved that entirely wrong. Um, I do actually think the fact that that Pep's just won the Premier League in in such convincing style that it's kind of fostered the perfect moment for uh, another manager to to bring a similar style into the Premier League I, I think it's almost a perfect moment to do that um, in terms of the striker uh, you know do you have to be big I, I don't think so I, th- I think there's been plenty of um, you know Aguero's not particularly large Gabriel Jesus or Jesus isn't particularly large um, I, I think there's other attributes that come into it they're both obviously quite stocky um, rugged South American style strikers um, so I, th- I think there's a bit more to it than the height would Dries Mertens score 25 goals in the Premier League uh, I'm not convinced but um, he'd probably be an effective player um, I think to have a small striker is not, not necessarily an issue so one of the major questions that I think a lot of Chelsea fans have and something that we've talked with Joe Tweeds about is kind of the philosophy of the club and um, integrating you know this amazing academy uh, talent into eventually having a path to the first team. That's that's been something that I think most Chelsea fans are are kind of eager to see at least begin uh, implementation of. So, is there anything that you can tell from you know your your time watching Napoli that um, Sari would introduce youth talent or have faith in youth talent to help fulfill uh, some of these uh, roles on the pitch and? Uh, is there is, does he have a philosophy about integrating youth at all? Um, he he's shown it in the past. He's not shown it at Napoli. Um, and when I when I started writing the piece uh, about sorry that that was the biggest question. I'm, I'm I'm a huge advocate of youth as well. You know I love going to the games and I think I, th- I think the academy is the only asset that Chelsea have that's truly world class. I, I don't think. Um, maybe apart from Hazard as an individual, um, but but in, in every other area, Chelsea uh, kind of punches above its weight. I mean, we, we don't have the money for Man City or uh, you know PSG or, or whoever, um, but we probably arguably have the best academy in the world, uh, if at least top three. I, there's certainly an argument to say best. Um, so to integrate that is, I think, one of the most important things for the next coach to do. I think. That direction has to come from the the senior management, uh, which is why I mentioned before about having a having a director of football and having a kind of um, a structure in place that, that whoever the coach is uh, 
because you know whether it's whether Sarri gets hired or Luis Enrique or whoever they're not they're not going to stay for more than three four five years it's just kind of not how it works so I think to integrate our youth you need a, a more overarching structure to, to bring those people through um, but yeah I mean during his time at Empoli Sarri uh, certainly spoke often or spoke a number of times about the importance of trusting and bringing through young players um, there's a few players like Zielinski um, Hisai Regani who's now at Juventus uh, played at Empoli under Sarri uh, and was an ever present at centre-back so th- there's a lot of examples from his previous clubs um, of using young players and putting a lot of faith in them uh, at Napoli not so much uh, they've got a few talented young player Zielinski like I say who, who does play a fair amount of games but he's very much the the first sub uh, especially towards the end of this season it was every game Hamstrick comes off Zielinski comes on or almost every game um, they've got Diwara who rotates in for Jorginho and other than that there's, there's not a huge amount of youth talent I mean you can argue that that's Sarri not bringing them through uh, or you can argue that, that, that those players just aren't there. I mean, their Primavera, their youth team, uh, hasn't reached uh, the playoffs uh, that they have in, in Italy since, uh, I think, the 2012-13 season. So it, it's a tough one. Does Sarri not trust youth at, the, at this top level? Or does he just not have it at his disposal? He'd definitely be working with players... Um, with better young players than he's ever worked with previously I and mean, like I say there's probably not an academy in the world that that brings through to players like Christensen and Loftus-Cheek and Mason Mount and, and whoever else uh, we want to name um, so yeah there, there's references to his philosophy in the past and he's brought through young players at Napoli not so much so that's a wait and see but I do think that that needs to be a more overarching strategy uh, from the you know the, from whoever will be the director of football and from the board uh, that you know they need to say that whoever the manager is they need to be bringing through these players and using this world class asset that, that Chelsea has. Yeah, I, I think you know, to the point you made about the academy at Napoli versus Chelsea's, it's going to be the equivalent of going and you know, shopping for, you know, at the corner store versus shopping at Nordstrom and trying to discern the the type of items that, you know, the players that he's going to be able to pick up from, whether it be Ruben, uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi from an attacking perspective, uh, Dujon Sterling, uh, Reese James, Mason Mount. Um, you know, there's a lot of talented individuals that, uh, instead of you know paying Danny Drinkwater a, you know a, a probably unfair amount of salary, we can promote some youth talent and really you know give him some exciting players that uh, have uh, done it and won it all from a youth perspective. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to see that, but I also think that youth will solve it all, and that we'll, we you know we'll need to go out and acquire uh, some level of player to continue to elevate this. I know you highlighted Murata and, you know, we've kind of seen links to uh, Lewandowski and Accardi recently, which uh, I mean, both of those are exciting kind of opportunities as well. Is there one or two players that if you were, you know, in Chelsea's board that you would kind of go target to, to help make this work in addition to, you know, some of those youth promotions that we've been talking about? Yeah, we, we, we brought him up a number of times now. Uh, I think if you can get Jorginho, uh, I would 
spend uh, a huge amount of money to, to bring him in. It sounds like he's um, quite close to joining Man City. Uh, I think the last thing I read was that they were bidding about 35 million and Napoli want 60. Um, but, you know, that he's kind of leaning that direction. Uh, I've also heard that, uh, you know, if Sarri joins, then his head could be turned to Chelsea um, because of the relationship that they have. Uh, I, I would say he's a perfect player to sign. Uh, because he knows the system and you can you can slot him straight in um, yeah when it comes to strikers I mean it just depends who you can get Akadi's going to cost 100 million or more Lewandowski buying don't want to sell and he's I have no idea what their market value would be for him but he's going to going to cost a heck of a lot of money as well um, Honestly, if if you could if you could sell Morata back for what you bought him for the fifty eight million, which I know you're not going to, but if you can get a good return on him and look to buy another top level striker, whoever that would be, I I, I would say go and do it. Um, you know, look, looking to sign an elite striker, uh, that elite striker should probably work in in whatever uh, whatever style of play you're you're looking to implement. Um, especially one like Saris where the team is geared to score a lot of goals and create a number of chances uh, whatever kind of top level striker you, you sign should be able to fit that so yeah I, I can't call you out a, a specific name there because it will obviously depends on who's on the market and who you can get um, but I, I think it's a, a it's a system that's it's designed to, to fit the strikers. I mean, Higuain had the uh, the highest single goal scoring season in Serie A history. Um, he scored 36 goals, which broke Gunnar Nordahl's record from I think 50, uh, 49 to 50 season. So uh, you know, and then since then, Merton scored 25 goals as a striker when he'd never scored anything like that uh, since very very early on in his career at PSV. So. It's geared to suit the striker, and I think if you get a good striker for that system, they, they will probably score goals. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, that record was way before the offsides rule came into effect. <laughs> Which, uh, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, right? <laughs> Anyways, um, so I guess maybe can I tweak that question just really quick? Are there two positions that you think Chelsea would be like, yep, absolutely need to go and upgrade or reinforce? To me, I think our, our center mids are horrible in depth. Uh, you know, So I think Jorginho fills that role where they're creative. I, do you think that the, we have enough wingers or the right type of wingers to support this role or the most attacking wing backs or outside backs to fit this as well? Um, whether Marcos Alonso's got the, the technical capability to kind of pay, play this fast-paced style of play, I'm not sure. Maybe. Um, maybe that's an area, but ultimately he's scored a lot of goals this season. He's, I know there's a lot of fans that are unimpressed by him, but I think the general punditry consensus is that he's quite a good player, so yeah. I'm not sure he's an area that you would immediately look to improve on. Yeah, right winger would be would be my guess. Right winger and, and central midfield. I think we're quite well stocked at, at centre back. Um, I think agree. there's quite a few good, quite a few good players there. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 right wing would be my guess. Okay. A, a quick a quick follow up on the midfield, and I know this was a, a person that we haven't necessarily talked about a ton, but do you think that Ruben Loftus Cheek 
necessarily has the the capability to play one of those three midfield roles if we were to bring him back from loan? Um, honestly, yes, and I'm a little bit biased here in that, you know, like I said, I've sort of watched him for um, quite a few years at a youth team level, um, and I can almost not understand how he's not uh, a Chelsea first team player. Uh, you know, he showed what he's what he can do at Crystal Palace. He's going to the World Cup. Um, I, I think he's a, an amazing, amazing player who's really been uh, screwed over by not being given the amount uh, and the quality of chances. Um, there's almost this like myth about him that was like uh, that you know that he's not got the work ethic or he's too you know he's too lazy. He's not impactful enough on games. Um, it almost felt like Mourinho playing him in a more forward role because he wouldn't trust him deeper, which is his real position. That they, they kind of like propagated all these, all these myths. Um, and you know, I think I think it's absolutely crazy that he's not a. Uh, uh, not an out-and-out first-team player already. I think he played something like 31 minutes last season for Chelsea, um, which, which is just absurd uh, to give a, a player of that talent that many minutes. So, yeah, I, I, I honestly think in in any system, uh, like I think with a, you know with a, with a top-level striker, uh, I think a player like that would flourish in any system. Awesome, and obviously Ruben has even came out and said that uh, he needs to be getting first team minutes for Chelsea otherwise understandably he's gonna go somewhere else so with that being said let's kind of go ahead and and wrap this up we have some some statements in summation I'm sorry so Alex we just really need you to give us a thumbs up or thumbs down if we're right uh, and feel free to correct any any statements so this is how we've kind of summed up the good sides of uh, of Maurizio sorry he will play an exciting attractive attacking display of football that will definitely please the fans and most importantly if he gets back into the country roman abramovich <laughs> goodbye goodbye suffer fc goodbye <laughs> i would i would give him a big thumbs up to that one all right another one he has a track record of maximizing and improving established talent without splashing the cash in the transfer window all the time for sure. He's, he had a great quote once, which was, uh, the transfer window is, is a refuge of the weak. Um, <laughs> just so. shots fired. Like, who? I don't oh, need man. friends in this job, clearly is what he's saying. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I can't say that's going to mean that Chelsea don't sign any players. I, I reckon that's a slight exaggeration. Um, but yeah, the guy's, a, the guy's a, an out and out trading pitch coach who is there to get the best out of players. I will take the bad because, of course, there's balance in the world and we need to, we need to showcase that on the show. Um, perhaps not the best manager to take Chelsea's vision uh, into the future in terms of youth application. Yeah, he's not got the track record of, uh, you know, Leonardo Yardim or Pep Guardiola. Um, but like we said earlier, I'm not sure he's had the tools to, to have that opportunity. So to be, to be seen, but yeah, he's not... Not got the track record that others do. Uh, he hasn't won trophies and is replacing a manager who has won two. I think this is the other biggest myth in football. <laughs> um, tro- trophies are so circumstantial and the, the idea that you're not a good manager if you've not won a trophy uh, is 
it is crazy. I mean, you, you know, you at Pankers um, hadn't won a trophy in like uh, 15 years by Munich sign him, and then not too long later, they win the treble. Um, Andre Villas Boas won a treble, joined Chelsea, and was pretty terrible. So, you know, just looking at someone by trophies, I, I, th I don't know what you guys think, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, I personally think it's, it's really foolish. I think you've got to look at the fact that he's, you know, broken up his points record two or three times. Uh, he's the only manager to get to 91 points without winning, a tro without winning the title in Italy. Um, he just unfortunately is playing at the same time as uh, this freakishly dominant Juventus side. Like, one of the best teams Italy's seen for for a long time. Um, you know, if 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 his period at Napoli was just at a slightly different moment, uh, his record would look would look totally different. So, like I said, I'm genuinely curious to hear your guys' thoughts on this. I think trophies are just judging by trophies are really reductive, and I personally think you need to look a little bit deeper than that. Robbie, I, I would agree with Matteo. that. Matteo. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a good call out, and I think it's been hard to to watch that be the point. And people have not looked at the table or the standings or just seen how ridiculously talented this Juventus side is, and to dominate the way that they have or Napoli has under Sari uh, in in Syria is is nothing short of extremely extremely impressive. So. Well, I, I, uh, I think it's you want to see winners come in and, uh, you know, he is a winner. And you know what? You don't have a trophy until you win one. And uh, given the fact that you can win uh, anywhere between one and four in uh, in the Premier League season, uh, gives him a good shot of picking up one in his first season with us. Maybe a Europa League action there. Yeah, I would I would say this uh, last comment on the trophy thing for me would be uh, Antonio hadn't won a knockout tournament until he won it. Right. So, like, I think they're while it is slightly it is a little troubling to me. I'm just being honest about that. Um, it, it isn't impossible to imagine a guy with this kind of track record coming in and winning a, a, a major tournament or, or the league and at some point. Mm, I, I think touching on Conte, there's a really good example there that, um, you know, Conte had a, a, an unbelievable season in his first year at Chelsea. Uh, you know, he set the record for the most um, games won in a Premier League season. He, it felt like he revolution, revolutionised the Premier League where half the league was playing three at the back and he was an absolute, you know, toast of the Premier League and, and doing amazing stuff. Um, now, the following year, Pep Guardiola's been even better and broken even more records you know what if the Pep had had that season last season and Conte doesn't have a trophy to his name right I mean does that mean that Conte's not got Premier League to his name and therefore he's not a good coach because he's not won that league and he's not got that trophy to his name no he's still done a phenomenal job and he's still won however many games that we won uh, there's just someone else that's done slightly better at the same time I think it kind of doesn't diminish what you've done you've just not got that trophy because someone else has done done slightly better if that makes sense and I know that's like a stupid hypothetical <laughs> um, but I, I, I don't know I hope that makes sense 
No, that makes great sense. Uh, honestly, Alex, this has been fantastic for us as we all, you know, kind of try to prepare, prepare ourselves for the upcoming season and, and you know, what is going to, you know, potentially be happening at Chelsea. So, again, if you haven't read his article, it's on over at Footy Times. Check it out. Go to our Twitter profile. We have posted it uh, there as well. But, again, just a huge thank you, and uh, we really appreciate, um, you know, jumping on and, and talking to us. No, thank you, guys. It's been uh, been great to be on. And uh, yeah, no, I really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, with that being said, Chelsea fans, we are going to wrap this one up. We will keep you up to date with everything that happens this summer that is Chelsea-related. You can be sure of that. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. If you don't want the conversation to stop, make sure to follow the London is Blue podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to support the pod, you can leave a five-star review in iTunes or donate on Patreon.com. London is Blue podcast presented by WorldSoccerShop.com.